Welcome back to Talking Points, the podcast that shines a light on life in the performing arts. I'm your host, Claudia Lawson. I'm going to take a guess that every single one of our listeners knows the name Cooper Nielsen. He briefly broke Jodie Sawyer's heart in the cult movie Centre Stage. And yet today, I'm speaking with a man who played that role, Ethan Stiefel, who is far more interesting than the notorious Cooper Nielsen. Ethan was born in Pennsylvania in the USA and his father was a prison warden. And like many men before him, he was introduced to ballet by watching his sister's dance class. But by 15, he'd been accepted into the School of American Ballet, where he trained with the likes of Rudolf Nureyev and Mikhail Baryshnikov. And on graduation, he was accepted into the New York City Ballet. But the adventures didn't end there. In this wondrous conversation, Ethan talks so candidly about his life and career. We talk about his early years, rising through the ranks at the New York City Ballet before he defected across the plaza in New York to join American Ballet Theatre as a principal. But Ethan and I cover so much more. We discuss what it's like for American men to grow up dancing in the USA, how he became artistic director of the Royal New Zealand Ballet, managing a long-distance relationship with his now-wife, Gillian Murphy, and taking some time off for himself. Finally, we talk about becoming Cooper Nielsen in Centre Stage and his new venture as the artistic director of the American Repertory Ballet. Just quickly interrupting this episode to let you know that Season 3 of Talking Points is sponsored by Energetics. Energetics specialise in creating sustainable, world-class dancewear for the stars of tomorrow. Perform and feel your best at every stage of your dance journey in Energetics premium high-performance fabrics. Try them out with a 20% discount for all Talking Points listeners using the code ETHAN20 at the checkout. Shop their extensive range online at energetics.com.au or for our US listeners, it's energetics.com. T's and C's apply. Ethan, welcome to Talking Points. We are calling in from hugely different time zones. You're in New Jersey. But before we get into your life in New Jersey, I'm hoping to wind the clock all the way back to a different state of Pennsylvania. And yeah, I was hoping you could tell us about, you know, where you grew up and your family and and I guess how ballet, you know, crossed into your life. Yes, I was uh, born in Pennsylvania, as you, you mentioned, and grew up for what I'd say would be the formative years, kind of ages four through 12 in the state of Wisconsin, which is in the Midwest of the, of the U.S. And that's where my mom and dad met. My dad was born and raised there. But we were living in uh, Portage, Wisconsin, which I think was about maybe 3,000 people. Wow. Yeah, populated. I didn't have a, a strong kind of uh, attraction. I wasn't, uh, you know, drawn to dance in an epiphany or I saw something. It really came about because my sister and I were in gymnastics and we were studying in, uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. She's uh, yeah, 15 months older than I am, and I was really into it, and she was as well, but then she decided she wanted to start taking ballet. And so I was a pretty active young guy. I was mostly playing, well, football, American football in the house or baseball <laughs> or anything, really. Um, so I was breaking furniture and all that good stuff. So my mom wouldn't leave me at home 
when my sister had just begun taking ballet lessons in Madison. And so I just sat there in the lobby for quite some time, I think uh, well over a month, if not two months. And uh, after being asked, I think repeatedly, or my mom being asked like, oh, would your son be interested? Uh, yeah, I saw people in there moving around, jumping around, it seemed like a lot of fun. So I went, why not? And that's kind of where it began in terms of, <laughs> yeah, getting in the studio and uh, pursuing a dance career. <laughs> I mean, totally correct me if I'm wrong, but are there a whole heap of male dancers in Wisconsin? I do think that, you know, when I got involved that first day and went in to take my first class, that uh, the male dance population in the state of Wisconsin went up probably 50%. Um, <laughs> so, now, you know, it's a heavily ag- agricultural place. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if uh, Madison yet you know, yet has been kind of the center or epicenter of of dance, particularly (laughs) ballet. I mean, I know in Australia there, you know, boys growing up learning to dance can often really, you know, struggle with bullying or sort of being that, you know, odd kid out at school. Is that sort of the same in the States? Yeah, I would say uh, everyone's experience obviously is going to be different and and certainly where they're, you know, starting to take uh, dance and so on their communities and whatnot. But I would say in general, that is sadly the the case. And I think I was to a certain degree fortunate uh, to the extent that I had grown up, like I said, age four and started dance when I was around eight or nine. Mm. And so, you know, people knew me and, and all that kind of thing. But uh, even with that, it didn't mean that I wouldn't be susceptible to some comments or, uh, you know, the odd confrontation. But uh, no, I really, I really enjoyed it. But it wasn't as if I knew okay, uh, this will be my lifelong pursuit. And so what makes it become more than, you know, doing ballet at your sister's dance school? Like where does it start to expand? Well, from there, after a couple of years, uh, we moved to a school in Milwaukee, which is a bit of a bigger city and had a professional ballet company. Mm -hmm. That I would say was the first introduction just in terms of being surrounded by professional dancers or a school that was, you know, looking to educate dancers to love dance, but also potentially go into the the company. So it was professionally inclined, you know, in its uh, uh, approach. Mm-hmm. And then I would say that the penny dropped, I'll, I'll skip ahead then a, a few years, was uh, when I went to the School of American Ballet. Mm. And then I feel that... Uh, was the moment where I went, wow, this is uh, this is what it's all about. Um, really, in, in awe, I was uh, 14 at that time. And so all of a sudden, being in the studio with uh, people I had looked up to, or, um, you know, this is the, <laughs> the mid-late 80s, uh, heard about but hadn't seen, uh, <laughs> all of a sudden I'm there in class with, uh, with these people. And just, yeah, just the excitement and the, the inspiration of being there surrounded by other people who are passionate about the same thing that I said, all right, this is it. Uh, going to go to another level in terms of my dedication and commitment. I think there were some pretty big names in that class, wasn't it? Like Barishnikov <laughs> and Uraev, I mean, not... Oh, uh, um, incredible. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, Barishnikov, Bahonis, Nureyev, as you mentioned, I mean, also just the other stars of the day really coming through the school. And that was because of one teacher in particular, Stanley Williams, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, his class being yeah, extremely unique. Uh, people would always come through or come back through um, because he really was such a great instructor. 
I mean, they're like giants of the industry even now, but at that time even more so. And also such incredible male role models. Like, I Mm. suppose, what an incredible experience. But I just wanted to go back. I mean, what brought you from the Milwaukee Ballet to the School of American Ballet? So to look at my yeah dance training and kind of the the journey that I was on, I briefly would go back to just my father. So he went to Yale Divinity School and he graduated there and he became a Lutheran minister. And after about two years, it wasn't uh, working out um, in terms of the congregation and and so on. So he went to become a, a Texas state trooper. Wow! And so yeah, bring up because it's quite a shift. But yeah, that that's a huge shift. Then. Yeah. Um, and then he, he ended up working in the Federal Bureau of Prisons, you know, the federal system. So from that point, he could be transferred. And so that's where kind of then it interconnects with my road in terms of my my dance education, starting in Wisconsin. Then because it was for the federal government, he was transferred to central Pennsylvania. And then he was transferred actually to a work at a facility in downtown Manhattan, a high rise, basically uh a prisoner holding facility. So that's how we came to New York. And uh, yeah, we'd get in there because of traffic and parking and all that good stuff. And my sister would be go in there with my entire family, actually, and be in the in the prison in my dad's office for a couple hours before we went to academics. Wow. And to ballet school. So uh, yeah, there's the picture for you. Um, <laughs> how I landed in New York for that moment. I mean, was that a huge life adjustment in itself? Like the ballet aside, just moving from the Midwest to to the East Coast of, and then into New York? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fortunately, both my sister and I had studied at the School of American Ballet for their summer intensive, you know, five weeks in the summer prior. This would have been now January. So, yeah, about six months before, seven months before we would have been in New York. So at least we had that uh, that perspective. But um no, it was uh, it was wild. It was uh, it was a complete shift, but that's what I have to say. You know, really, kind of this focus and keeping your eye on the prize and being dedicated to what you do. I mean, you take all the other things in. Mm. You know, what I mean, in terms of uh, around you and the city and life, uh, because that certainly informs so much of what you do. But uh, yeah, this uh, kind of focus of, well, maximizing the time in the studio with these uh, instructors and with my colleagues who are seeing performances. Wow. Um, that, uh, yeah, that, um, that was where the energy went. So you joined the School of American Ballet and on graduation, you then join the New York City Ballet. The New York City Ballet is not fed from the School of American Ballet. The School of American Ballet feeds into ABT. Is that right? It's the other way around. So the School of American Ballet is actually the official school of the New York City Ballet. Okay. And so American Ballet Theater School is now the School of Classical Ballet. But anyways, um, you are certainly not the first to confuse that, including many family members of mine. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a common one. But you know, it's one of those things where I didn't see the New York City Ballet that much. And as we just uh, spoke about the New York City Ballet, I would see American Ballet Theater, you know, which was really uh, some of those people that I yes. mentioned before, because that was a touring company and is still uh, a touring ballet company, primarily, even though they have their major New York seasons. So out in Minnesota, you know, we, we would drive four hours to go see American Ballet Theater. So 
my point is that uh, you know my heart always kind of held a spot for American mm. Ballet Theater, but um, you know <laughs> New York City Ballet is a fantastic <laughs> company, and the I don't know I'll tell you the I'll try and be as brief as I can, but I'll tell you the crazy story. So I was at the School of American Ballet uh, for the year long program, and then I went to study at the School of uh, Classical Ballet um, that uh, Baryshnikov had uh, had started. And so at that point, then after the summer, I do decide then to stay at the American Ballet Theater School uh, just to find 10, 10 days after that, uh, that the school is folding. <laughs> and so, uh, Claudia, I have to head back to the School of American Ballet, like with a tail between my legs and say, oh, you know, would you accept me back into the school? And then as well, you know, my parents really didn't have the means. So I had to ask for like my scholarship. Fortunately, they they did bring me back in. And then a week later, Peter Martins, the ballet master in chief or, you know, widely known as an artistic director, he actually invited me into the New York City Ballet. So it was quite a whirlwind couple of weeks. Yeah, I went from ABT centric to all of a sudden back at the at City Ballet. So does ABT have a school that feeds into it? Yeah. So before I came here to be the artistic director at the American Repertory Ballet, I was uh, teaching and coaching. It's now called the Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis School at American Ballet Theater, just to further confuse you. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, they have a, a school and they also have a junior company or a studio company that uh, you know kind of bridges its way into the main company. So you join New York City Ballet on graduation from the School of American Ballet. And what is it like to become a professional dancer? Well, it was pretty crazy. I mean, certainly the amount of performances, the immense scale of the rep at the New York City Ballet, just uh, also the standard and, and the quality. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's epic. Mm. But uh, again, you kind of just keep the focus and, and go with it. And to a certain extent, you know, I might have been, I might have been, I probably was a bit uh clueless and naive and uh in certain cases that might have been to my benefit <laughs> in certain cases otherwise but uh you know i'm saying that uh, i really i was also so busy I, I was still going to academics so i'd wake up go to academic school and potentially rehearse and perform until 10 30 at night and so um you know i was kind of for the first year really on a on a cycle of just uh keeping it going and trying to adjust and now i'm living on my own wow. in a health kitchen you know, in New York, uh, in Manhattan in the late eighties. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a wild time. It was fantastic. I mean, I consider myself extremely yeah, grateful that I, I had that uh, opportunity that my parents, you know, let me move then into Manhattan and, and take everything on. But, uh, I just remember being really, really busy in a good way, uh, learning all the rep performing, but also then just trying to, uh, yeah, get through high school. Wow. I mean, you spend the first sort of, you know, solid years of your career there. And you mentioned it before that the repertoire of ABT is probably something that you were, you know, ruminating on. Mm. What is the differences between the company's repertoires? Well, you know, the New York City Ballet, um, a huge part, if not the primary focus is uh, the work of George Balanchine, the founding choreographer and director of the company alongside Jerome Robbins mm-hmm. and his uh, his works. And they you know, have done some full lengths like Swan Lake. Obviously, they do mm-hmm. they do Nutcracker mm-hmm. uh, and they do do a Sleeping Beauty. But um, 
you know, American Ballet Theater taking on the Romeo and Juliet, the Manons, the, mm. uh, as well the Swan Lakes, the Giselles, the Don Q's, uh, those types of things. That is uh, what is primarily the focus of American Ballet Theater alongside doing, a, you know, contemporary repertoire, whereas the New York City Ballet uh, tends to be shorter works um, ranging from, yeah, kind of the basis of neoclassicism uh, onwards to things that are happening today and are relevant. Yes. And so you defect. <laughs> yes. And I would yes. love you to speak to that because, you know, I think ballet can be quite political at times. So you, you are with New York City Ballet, but then in 1997 you <laughs> switch companies across the plaza to American Ballet Theatre, ABT. Yeah. Can you tell us about how that came about? Well, first, uh, it, it was, uh, although we chuckle about it, it, it did seem to be almost like a defection. You know, the the repertoire and also kind of the, the pace and the, the kind of logistics within New York City Ballet made it such a great place to grow up for six years mm-hmm. in terms of learning how, you know, to become a professional and professional responsibility and then just such a fantastic place to start. But I was getting some opportunities from various places uh, to explore this repertoire I was talking to you about, the, mm. you know, the full evening, you know, kind of classical 19th century ballets. And I wanted to explore that. So, you know, I had a couple of discussions with Peter Martins and ultimately what came about from that was, you know, you're either here full time or, or not. And mm. so... Equally, I respected that he was my director, and I said, "Well, I really feel I need to, yeah, pursue this." We've been talking about it. ABT was just kind of in my psyche since I was, yeah, starting out in in dance. So uh, that's kind of uh, how it happened. And uh, I didn't have a job. There was nothing I had lined up, uh, Claudia. And I get a call, and on the other end was Michael Kaiser of American Ballet Theater, and invited me to dance with ABC <laughs> the following year. So that was pretty fortuitous, I'd say, serendipitous. Uh, I started then the following spring, and up until that point, uh, I worked with uh, Ballet Zurich in Zurich, Switzerland wow. uh, for a year. So that was pretty sweet, too. I mean, that phone call, and and just to make a sort of perfect segue to possibly the most well-known male name in dance pop culture, it sounds like a very Cooper Nielsen thing to happen, to have the phone call from <laughs> ABT while you're standing <laughs> at the New York City Ballet. No, I, I, you know what I have to say, and that's why, in a way, even telling the story, just kind of the theatrics of it, someone walking in, hey, Ethan, you have a phone call. I mean, not knowing what I was doing at the time, probably something silly. Uh, and walking out there and just going, hello, and all of a sudden your life changes. I mean, that is that is pretty traumatic. Yeah, also changes in the sense that it took me right in the direction that I wanted to go. Incredible. The name Cooper Nielsen is so well known, and you played that part in Centre Stage. Can you tell us about how Centre Stage came about? Well, and now I'm going to, this is the third time now I'm going to go back to, you know, pre-digital communication. I went into the uh, company studios, which are on Broadway around 20th Street. Mm-hmm. And we 
they had like you know pigeonholes. I don't know you call them yes, for mail, exactly. yep, or yep. or notes, things like that. So I just get this slip, and uh, it just says Lawrence Mark Columbia Pictures. Please call and a phone number. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so again, there's 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 me not knowing anything from anything, and so I call uh, Larry Mark, and. I'm speaking to, you know, this major producer at Columbia Sony Pictures. And he's like, yeah, I just want to let you know that uh, I really appreciate and admire your dancing. I mean, he really is a, a fan. And he said, we're thinking about putting together a movie uh, that takes place in the in the ballet world. And yeah, I thought that I uh, would reach out to you to see if you're interested because we think, yeah, it might be good to have you to have you involved and here's the role that we're we're thinking of so had you ever acted before no uh not not at all actually I, I cringe you know it's one of those bad memories that just flashes into your head and i'm thinking of kind of my screen test and how i must have again just been been lost and and clueless but that's where i mean we really just had such an a team i mean starting with larry but then nicholas heitner i mean just legends in terms of uh, both theater and film you know, his being the director and also just a real love and understanding of ballet and respect and appreciation. We were so lucky that he was well aware of the talent he had in front of him. Um, but I have to say that was the beautiful thing about the film as well. Everyone that worked on set from, you know, the director, producer throughout uh, the grips, lighting, what have you, it, it caught fire and people really rallied around it and had a real respect and appreciation and a better understanding, which was such a great opportunity for me, but also mm. for the art form to have a film of this level, you know, mm. multi-million dollar production, major studio. It hadn't happened since I think the turning point back in the seventies. Wow. Um, yeah. And so did that change, I guess your, I don't want to say celebrity, but did that change the focus of how well you were known at the time? Oh, for sure. It certainly elevated things for me outside of the ballet, mm. uh, but also within the ballet circles. I think it, uh, yeah, again, that DVD um, <laughs> at the time, just uh, it, it found its way uh, everywhere because in the industry, again, this this hadn't happened. There hadn't been a, you know, two hour long feature film. Um, it really created a buzz. And I guess then, you know, a couple of years ago was the anniversary. So it's uh it's kept going which is yeah which is really heartwarming and oh absolutely uh, i think it's a real like cult classic now it's pretty wild i guess i wanted to move on just a little bit now to when you were heading towards ending your career and retirement it's a obviously a huge a huge adjustment in a dancer's life and i wanted to ask about where your headspace started to go as you started to think about possibly ending your time on the stage mm. and how you came to that decision and and I guess what you started to think about, you know, what you might do next. I'd been interested in in teaching and coaching mm -hmm. for many years. And then, yeah, I was uh, fortunate that then I was given some opportunities in terms of uh, directing a major dance school here in the state, uh, the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. And, and you know, kind of being able to put together some of the things I had developed in terms of teaching and then learn a whole heck of a lot about uh, other facets of leadership, you know, that um, I hope serves me well, but mm. uh, 
yeah, it was pretty, uh, was pretty major all the while still performing. And so then going from directing a school, it seemed, uh, let's say a logical, I don't mean that in a boring way, but the logical next step would be to go pro <laughs> and, you know, this, uh, chance to direct the Royal New Zealand ballet then came on the, on the radar. And I actually, my grandmother, uh, is a Kiwi and I was able to see some relatives. Yeah. When I moved down there, um, or, you know, down towards you, uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it just, again, seemed like a natural evolution that, uh, you know, I knew that I didn't want to stay in academia in essence, you know, I, I really wanted to kind of be more active in the studio, although the artistic directing job uh, includes much more than just that, but, you know, and, and also then move up. Uh, in terms of developing and growing myself and my skills with uh, with other professionals. Um, so that's what led me then to, to New Zealand. Wow. Did you have a final performance with ABT? Is there like an emotional, like big celebration that they have? Yeah. They do do that in the States. I thought, you know what, I've also had four knee surgeries at that point. I'd already, you know, I had four, two on uh, both knee and some back problems. And I said, it's also time for others. And so now... Um, I'm going to do my final performances and hopefully go out on on top uh, in, mm. a, in a sense, um, you know, that I was still physically in a place that could excite and engage as well as then in terms of uh, emotionally and characterization and all of those types of things. And as I said, I look, I, I had a ballet company in New Zealand to direct and a great bunch of people I was working with. Wow. I, I do miss dancing uh, and, and getting up there on, on stage. And so I think because I did have something else to, I don't want to say distract me, mm. um, because, you know, being the director of the RNZ, the RNZZB um, <laughs> was certainly not a, a distraction. It was a, a wonderful thing for me. Um, it, it kind of then had me grieving, let's say, in a more chronic way, if that makes sense. Yes. I wasn't like tomorrow. Oh, what am I going to do? There's nothing. Um, uh, you know, which uh, again, and I'm sure some people really have to confront things in a, in a different manner. Yeah, that's interesting to hear. That like grief process could kind of happen alongside you being busy with a new purpose. Is it is it nerve wracking to be an artistic director? Well, <laughs> I mean, um, I would say that being an artistic director, yeah, it has its its challenges and and one of the the hardest things i think is that uh whether you want to or not just the nature of it is um you know whether it be casting or various things that uh yeah you're you're working with people that uh, not unlike yourself um my wife for example from the age of 4 she knew um you know soon thereafter that this is what she wanted to do she wanted to be a ballerina so mm. You know, I, I don't take the responsibility lightly. So in that sense, it, it can be nerve wracking because you know that, uh, you know, you're not going to please everybody mm. all of the time. And that's really what I would like to do. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, I'm married to Jillian Murphy. And she said, you know, it's not always about being liked. It's also about being respected. So mm. um, I just try and function in terms of, yeah, mutual respect as the, as the baseline. And um, be transparent and honest. You leave New Zealand in 2014, was it? I think you were there about two or three years. Yeah, three, uh, three years. Three years with the Royal New Zealand Ballet. And then you head back for the States. 
what was in your mind at that time? I was extremely conflicted because, yeah, I, I felt again I had I had a good thing going, and we, yeah, we had uh, a great bunch of artists and just people, the people at the organization, as well as the uh, people in the nation. I mean, they really embraced and love their ballet company mm. and the 60th anniversary is when I was the director. And so, yeah, it, uh, it was amazing to, to see that, but, you know, I, I also then unfortunately was confronted with that. My dad within the first week of landing there in New Zealand to live there was diagnosed with leukemia. I'm so sorry. And so, uh, no, thanks. You know, I, I wouldn't say that I was like, ah, okay. Um, this is going to be a short tenure. Um, because it was, yeah, it was a struggle to kind of figure out what to do at that time. And I was, again, just really appreciative that the board and the organization wanted me to continue mm. as their artistic director. But, uh, you know, up until that point, including that, that leap to take that adventure to New Zealand, uh, nearly everything up until I was, this was about, yeah, when I was 42 years old. Mm-hmm. I'd done everything deciding um, in terms of my career or what's good for, you know, working around the season or what's good for my career. Or what's a good opportunity because the window is so small. The career is so short. Mm. I sat back and I said, well, it's not easy for my wife uh, to commute. Uh, though it was fantastic. It was six months basically in New Zealand and six in New York. But mm. also at this time, is this where, you know, I need to decide on uh being closer to family yeah so that played a huge a huge role if not uh yeah the pivotal role in me going back was really uh personal reasons wow and so there's a bit of a gap before you take on the artistic directorship of ARB the American Repertoire Ballet that's based in New Jersey mm-hmm. um yeah in that interim, did you spend time with family? What did you do? Yeah, so, you know, in, in classic, uh, I guess, uh, Ethan Stiefel fashion, I came back from New Zealand. I didn't have a job. So it was <laughs> like, again, uh, 20 some odd years later, I was leaving City Valley, didn't have a job. And I, you know, I came back and I didn't know what I was going to do. I just focused on some of my interests a bit more in terms of motorcycling and also uh, studying martial arts, karate, and yeah, just, uh, I think taking a step back, a step outside of the, the ballet world to a certain degree. And so you're now the artistic director of ARB, and this season marks its 60th anniversary. What are you hoping to, to bring to the company, and where do you want the company to head? Well, I really... Stress uh, with with the company, with the artists, and also I think it's 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 seen in the work, it's seen in the rep that we have, in the programming, and, and other things. Uh, is really to be authentic and to be ourselves, whatever that is, as American Repertory Ballet. And what I do know is I have an incredibly talented and responsive and generous bunch of artists uh, that I work with every day that that really inspire on on a daily basis but then we're also bringing people in um you know from from the outside making new work on uh, on the company and so you know when you have that work made on yourself 
uh, you really own it in a, in a different way. It doesn't mean it's not valid to be seen in another way with another interpretation by someone else. But, mm. you know, we're really creating our own canon of repertoire that will be different from, I think, what you would see other companies doing. And uh, also, yeah, how we do it just in terms of the, the heart and the, and the spirit it really is palpable and it's something that, uh, yeah, each company is different and each one is special, but this, yeah, this one, we, we just try and stay true to ourselves and, and be authentic. Ethan, thank you so much for, for speaking with us and just, you know, your incredible life and, and what authenticity that you've had throughout your career. So thank you so much. No, I really appreciate and that flew flew by and uh just to say i love australia um no doubt love visiting when i was in new zealand was fortunate to go back then jillian was performing with the australian valley and to also perform there perform there myself made lifelong friends like going back to 2007 when i danced there so uh yeah wish you all and wish uh Wish the nation well. Oh, thank yeah, you. Well, you get back there. Well, you never know, ARB and Oz Ballet, two led by two ex AVT right gentlemen. Yeah. You never know. There may be a uh, an opportunity there. I'll call them tomorrow. I'll let you know. I'll let you know how it goes. I uh, really appreciate it. You have a good one. Thanks, Ethan. Bye. Okay, take care. Ethan continues to live with his wife, Gillian Murphy, and their son in New Jersey in the USA, all the while curating the new era of the American Repertory Ballet as their artistic director. For performance times and tickets, head to their website, it's arballet.org, or you can find them on Instagram at arballet. And while Ethan doesn't have Instagram, you can follow many of his adventures through his divine wife's Instagram. Gillian Murphy is also a principal dancer at ABT. You can head to her Instagram at Gillian E. Murphy. Ethan and I recorded our conversation remotely with Ethan dialing in from New Jersey on the east coast of the USA. Talking Points is produced on the lands of the Gadigal and Awabakal peoples to whom we pay our greatest respects. Talking Points is produced by Fjord Review. Remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes as soon as they're released. And if you like us, please leave a five-star review. On the next episode of Talking Points, you'll hear from Evie Ferris. Anthony calls it fate when these things happen, but I was at the Sydney Opera House doing Capelia with Oz Ballet and Anthony walked past in the green room completely randomly and just asked me to take a photo of him and his friends. And yeah, the rest is history, really. Your host and producer is me, Claudia Lawson, with additional production by Penelope Ford and Clint Topic. Sound production and editing is by Martin Peralta at Output Media. And for the latest in all things dance, head to fjordreview.com.